reading tonight's from Exodus chapter 40. It's the last chapter of Exodus, and it's on page 87 of the Pew Bibles. The Lord spoke to Moses, you are to set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first, on the, on the first day of the first month. Put the ark of the testimony there and screen off the ark with a veil. Then bring in the table and lay out its arrangement. And also bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar for incense in front of the Ark of the Testimony. Put up the screen for the entrance to the tabernacle. Position the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it. Assemble the surrounding courtyard and hang the screen for the gate of the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it along with its furnishings so that it will be holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar so that it will be especially holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Clothe Aaron with holy garments, anoint him and consecrate him so that he, may, he can serve me as a priest. Have his sons come forward and clothe them in tunics. Appoint them just as you appointed their father so that they may also serve me as priests. Their anointing will serve to inaugurate a permanent priesthood for them throughout their generations. Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. The tabernacle was set up in the first month of the second year, on the first day of that month. Moses set up the tabernacle. He laid its bases, positioned its planks, inserted its crossbars and set up its posts. He then spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses also took the testimony and placed it in the ark and attached the poles to the ark. He set the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle put up the veil for the screen and screened off the Ark of the Testimony, just as the Lord had commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil. He arranged the bread on it before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. He also put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and set up the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. Moses also installed the gold altar in the tent of meeting, in front of the veil, and burnt fragrant incense on it, just as the Lord had commanded him. He put up the screed at the entrance to the tabernacle. Then he placed the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered the burnt offering and the grain offering on it, just as the Lord had commanded him. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar 
and put water in it for washing. Moses, Aaron, and his sons washed their hands and feet from it. They washed whenever they came to the tent of meeting and approached the altar, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Next, Moses set up the surrounding courtyard for the tabernacle and the altar and hung a screen for the gate of the courtyard. So, Moses finished the work. The cloud covered the the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, throughout all stages of their journey, If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all stages of their journey. Our second reading tonight is from Hebrews 10 on page 1105. We're going to start reading at verse 19. And I think this is a really, really great and encouraging passage, so follow along with me. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have the boldness to to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, he has opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works not staying away from our worship meetings, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Leah and Steve. It'd be great if you could uh, keep Exodus 40 open. If you could flip back there. I think it was page 87. Exodus 40, that would be really helpful. Uh, The question I want to ask this evening is... um, do you have the sense of God's presence to the extent that you'd like it? Um, would you like more of God's presence? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, an old Christian guy, once wrote, uh, the love of God has been so overpoweringly experienced by us on some occasions that we have almost had to ask for a stay on the delight because we could not endure any more. If the glory had not been veiled a little, we should have died of excess of happiness. Now, some of us feel a million miles away from that. We feel like he's forgotten us, perhaps, abandoned us. What's wrong with me? Where have you gone? That might not be you, and yet still you think, I should feel God's presence more in my life. The last words of uh, Exodus 40 actually uh, sound kind of wonderful to a believer. You see those last words from verse 38? The cloud, that is 
the presence of the Lord. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible. The entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey, we, we don't really feel or his presence throughout all the stages of our journey. Just not even sure that he's there sometimes. Friends, I'm hoping that as we spend a bit of time thinking about the tabernacle, um, that we might be helped in this respect. Uh, because the tabernacle uh, was a tent, uh, but it was the tent where God especially was present uh, amongst his people Israel. Uh, so the plan tonight, roughly, uh, is to look um, at uh, the tabernacle and the priests who worked there. Uh, firstly, under the heading, the presence of the holy God. We'll see what that means. Uh, and then we'll see those things as the presence of the loving God. Um, and then finally, we're going to ask, um, what do we do when we don't really feel his presence? Um, under the heading, knowing the presence of the holy, loving God. And at each of those points, we're going to actually follow the arrows that the tabernacle and the priest would lay down. Um, they are arrows that point us to Jesus, uh, for he is the final presence of God amongst us. So first, uh, the presence of the holy God. Um, that's what the tabernacle was. Um, God's presence among his people. And for everything about the tabernacle said... Steady on, this is serious. This is the dwelling of the holy God. You saw that first in the design of the place. Its design was really, really important. So that God said to Moses, you must make the tabernacle exactly according to this design. He said that six times to Moses. Don't make a mistake. Get it right. What was that design? Well, uh, the booklets will help at this point. Um, if you could take them up and turn to the second last page, there's a little picture there. Um, the tabernacle's kind of made up of concentric areas. Uh, it was really modeled on Mount Sinai. It was meant to be a portable Mount Sinai. Um, so if you got it there, you kind of got this courtyard area, which is the, the rectangle. Outside, that's the camp where everyone is. Um, inside the courtyard, you've got the altar of burnt offerings and this little basin thing called the laver. Um, and pretty well anyone could come into the courtyard. And then you've got the actual tent bit. Um, and that's where only the priests can go. And they've got a table and a lampstand and an altar of incense. And then beyond that is the most holy place. Uh, and the most holy place, uh, only the high priest could go in there. Uh, and only once a year. And inside there we have the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, which is kind of this golden box, basically. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, right in the middle of the lid of it, was this thing called the mercy seat, or the atonement cover. And that was the place where God said he would meet with his people. He was especially present there. Now, over the top of the atonement cover were these two cherubim, with their wings kind of spread out. Now, I used to think cherubim... Uh, were these fat little guys with wings. Do you know the guys I'm thinking of with the bow and arrows that shoot love? Um, they're cherubs, apparently. Um, so cherubim are, are like heavenly bouncers. Uh, they're kind of like your, your Gandalf-esque, you shall not pass kind of guys. Um, 
So you might remember from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve uh, had to leave God's presence, God's throne room. They had to leave. um, And cherubim blocked their way back in. Now, in the tabernacle, there was cherubim sewn into every single wall. What's the message? Well, this is God's throne room. You shall not pass. The holiness of God was also seen in the material that was used to make the tabernacle. So in that, inside the tent bit, everything's gold, basically. Um, the tent itself is made of like, really expensive materials. Um, you've got kind of silks and silver um, and manatee skins. You know, like dugongs. Where do you get dugong skins? They're rare, okay? That's, that's the point, I think. They're rare. And then outside, further away from God, everything's bronze. So chapter 38, you get this inventory of the precious metals that are used. Um, let's see, about a ton of gold, three and a half ton of silver, two and a half ton of bronze. Uh, this is not the kind of tent you want to take hiking. But the message is clear again. God is valuable. He is holy. For heaven's sake, that even the tent pegs were made of bronze. Now, the priests. Um, the priests were the guys who kind of worked in the tabernacle. Um, they represented all the people in the presence of God. Now, last year, um, I had the opportunity to meet the governor of New South Wales. I was at this kind of ceremony for my mum. And, um, well, to be honest, I don't like dressing up. I don't even like wearing this. I'd like to be in shorts and a T-shirt if I could, um, but I have to wear this, so I do. Um, But when I went to meet the governor, I wore a suit. Um, I even thought about what tie and shirt I would wear beforehand, um, which is the male equivalent of kind of thinking about your outfit, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know, I think. Um, But let me ask, for whom would you wear finely spun linen embroidered with gold like actual gold, and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, all over a pair of holy underwear. That's the priest's get-up. The point is, if you're going to be in God's presence, this holy God, you've got to look the part. And so the message you get from what they're wearing is, God is holy. He's not to be taken kind of flippantly. In fact, if the priests turned up in the presence of God, not wearing their holy undies, they died. If they didn't wash before going into the presence of God, they died. These guys deserve some kind of danger money. Like this is, There's no mucking around with this God. He's like having a lion living in your house. Uh, I hear from my South African brothers and sisters that um, seeing a lion in the wild, actually some people here have told me this too, when you see a lion in the wild, they kind of ooze power and dignity. Uh, And when you hear them roar at night, it kind of sends tingles up your spine. Um, But there's this fellow, uh, Kevin Richardson, I might have mentioned him before, um, who lives with lions. Kind of just plays with them and wrestles them and sticks his fingers in their ears. Now, Kevin is incredibly privileged, right, to live with these lions. But if he forgets for a second that they're lions and he's just a flimsy little human being, 
He's cat food, right? Now, Israel, they were incredibly privileged to have this holy God dwelling amongst them. But if they forgot for a second that he was a holy God and they were just sinful people, well, that was the end. And so God said, make my dwelling exactly how I tell you, in in a way that suits me, that's fitting for me. It's the only safe way for me to be present amongst you. This tabernacle is my prescribed way to be present with you. And then, chapters 35 to 40, they do it. They build it. And I'm sure you picked up the refrain as Steve was reading from chapter 40. They did it just as the Lord commanded. And all of this climaxes in chapter 40, verse 34. Would you look there with me? Chapter 40, verses 34 and 35. Perhaps the climax of Exodus. The cloud covered the tent of meeting And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Repeats it twice just to make the point. This is the glory of God. The glory that was seen on the mountain with kind of shaking earthquakes and thunder and darkness. This is the glory of the Lord dwelling amongst his people in the tabernacle. Somehow, The holy God was dangerously amongst his people. Well, uh, down the track a little bit, this tent, this tabernacle, uh, was replaced with a tabernacle. Um, That temple, uh, in turn, was destroyed. But then Jesus turned up and said, I am the tabernacle, or I am the temple. I am now where God dwells with people. I am now God's presence with you. So that today, uh, people like you and me meet God in Jesus. He's God's presence with us. There's no other place. Uh, If you want to draw near to God, well, God's prescribed way of doing that is Jesus by the Spirit. Uh, But this gets a little bit wilder, really, Um, because when we trust in Jesus, we receive his spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and we become the temple of God, the presence of God here on earth, in a sense. The church, as the New Testament says, is the temple of the Holy God. I don't, sorry, I don't mean the church building. Um, some people still think that, that the church building is where God dwells. Uh, more specifically, this part up here. Um, my old church uh, was, had a similar sort of design, but was much less grand. Um, and I installed a, a projector screen, which kind of dropped down about here and covered the whole space. So there's a small, small building, not a massive screen, small building. Um, and people were horrified. They told me I blocked God out of church. I didn't know you could do that. But apparently I'd blocked God out. My friends, that's wrong, isn't it? I mean, God doesn't, isn't present just in a building. He's present amongst his people. 
who trust in him. Now, that might not be news to you. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that so far? God is present amongst his people who believe in him. That might be new to you. might sound like a crazy idea. But I think for many of us, we've, we've heard that before. Just, let's just dwell on that for a second, though. The God, whose only fitting dwelling had to be a place full of gold, <laughs> dwells amongst us. That, that God dwells amongst us, our Christian community. That's just an, like an incredible privilege, isn't it? And yet it's kind of a little bit pointy as well. Because shouldn't our temple, as in our Christian community, shouldn't our temple of the holy God show that God is at least as holy as the tabernacle did? Shouldn't our Christian community actually express uh, the holiness of this God? Shouldn't it be a fitting place for this holy God? And shouldn't we as priests clothe ourselves in holiness? You see, imagine you were um, you know, a pagan 3,000 years ago, uh, and you were curious to find, about, find out a bit about Israel's God, um, what they thought of their God. Um, you were curious, uh, and you were sneaky, curious and sneaky. And so you, you sneak into the tabernacle, uh, and you check things out. What would your impression be of what Israel thought of their God? He's pretty valuable, right? I think you'd be thinking something along the lines of, this God is the most valuable thing in these people's lives. What would someone think if they snuck into our Christian community? What would they think of Jesus? He is the most valuable thing in our lives. Would they? I've been sneaking into our church community for about six months now. Um, I'd say these people must think Jesus is pretty wonderful by the way they sing about him. Um, they must think he's, he's pretty kind and welcoming and, um, and kind of medium-sized. Um, not really worth too much sacrifice over. You know, Israel, uh, they were so just grabbed by the idea of the holy God dwelling amongst them that they freely donated all the materials for the tabernacle. Glad sacrifice. This wasn't their spare change. You know, this is expensive stuff, gold, manatee skins, that kind of thing. Gladly sacrificed. And yet many of us can't even sacrifice our Sunday nights to be here together. Many of us aren't sacrificially now financial giving to church or, or, other way, or, or elsewhere. And friends, this can't just be about our church gatherings. This is about our Christian community together. That, that is where God dwells amongst us as people. Surely our community must be a place that makes 
that makes Jesus look like the most valuable thing to us, surely. As it is, sometimes, let me underline that, sometimes, I don't want to just be kicking us here, sometimes this temple of the holy God looks just like Westfield. You know, people just rushing about, busy with their lives. No time for tenderness or compassion in Westfield. No time to really love each other sacrificially. We're just trying to keep up with the world out there. But friends, we, we are priests to the world out there. Shouldn't we be clothing ourselves in holiness? We are the, the tabernacle of the holy God. What a privilege. Brothers and sisters, I just want to urge us. Sorry, I don't mean for this just to be a kick. It's a kick against me as much as anything. Let's work together to make our Christian community um, a fitting place for the holy God where people can see how, how valuable Jesus is. May our relationships be like gold. Well, much more briefly, I want to move on now to talk about the presence of the loving God. You see, we've seen that um, it's tricky to have a holy God dwell amongst you. It's kind of dangerous, like having a lion living with you. And yet, let's not lose sight of the fact that it happened. Chapter 40, God moved in. God never said, oh, you know what, look, I'm just too holy for this. It's going to be too much trouble. Let's, let's, don't worry about it. He actually moved in, into a tent, just like Israel's tents. He was their neighbor. God wanted to be present with his people. You see it in the Garden of Eden. You see it in the tabernacle. You see it really in the Lord Jesus. You see it each day as, uh, uh, for example, just at a focal point where the Holy Spirit actually wants to draw near to two new people, bring God's presence to them. And friends, we are going to see it completely on the last day. God wants to be present with his people. You see, the message of the tabernacle is a message of love. God loves his people. Friends, you might be here this evening and your vision of God is, is of one who is kind of off in, a, in the distance. He's kind of unknowable and hidden. Um, if that's you, that, that view needs an overhaul. Think about the tabernacle. Now, uh, the priest. We haven't really spoken about the priests tonight. Um, the priests are kind of the other side of the coin on, on this point. Um, they're kind of the other half of God's embrace of us. You know, you can't hug no one. You, know what I mean? you, can't, you can't actually hug no one. You, you cannot hug anyone, but you can't hug no one. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't work. Um, now, the tabernacle is, is kind of like God's half of a hug. He kind of shows his love and his presence. Um, the priests are sort of like the other half. Uh, flip back with me to chapter 28 of Exodus. Exodus 28. Where we see the priests representing us, bringing us to God. Uh, so halfway down, you'll see a little heading there called the breast, pe the breast piece. It's kind of um, this thing on, the, on the, the breast of the high priest with these 12 stones in it, these 12 expensive stones. 
Uh, and let's pick it up, verse 21. Verse 21. The 12 stones are to correspond to the names of Israel's sons. Each stone must be engraved like a seal with one of the names of the 12 tribes. Okay, then down in verse 29. Whenever he enters the sanctuary, that is, the most holy place, God's presence. Aaron is to carry the names of Israel's sons over his heart on the breastpiece for decisions as a continual reminder before the Lord. So you see that the high priest was kind of representing the people. Symbolically, he was bringing them with him over his heart. Love that picture. He was bringing them into the presence of God kind of the other half of the embrace. And I've got to tell you, friends, this is the thing that has grabbed me most this week as I've been thinking about it. Because Jesus is our high priest. Um, He has gone, not just into a tent, he has gone into the most holy place, the throne room of God. Um, Jesus is in the embrace of the Father. Now, if you trust him, If you are in Christ, then you're over his heart. And he has taken you into the throne room of God, into the very embrace of the Father. That's where you are. So that if you're trusting in Jesus, it doesn't matter how good or bad you've been. It doesn't matter if your life hasn't really displayed the holiness of God. Because of Jesus... You can know the presence of the holy God. Know his loving embrace. Friends, if you don't know that yet, if you haven't experienced that, I hope it sounds attractive to you. Because it really is. Do pursue it. Do talk to someone about it. Just coming to our last point now. Uh, It's quite brief, Um, but I'm just kind of going to push that question a little bit further. Do you know the embrace of God? Uh, Do you know the presence of the holy and loving God? You see, it's all good and well to say that we are the tabernacle of the holy God, we are priests by the Holy Spirit, all that kind of thing, but what about when you don't feel it? You might agree with it, but it just doesn't seem true to you. What do we do? Well, Exodus would say to us again and again, come to God in the way he has prescribed and in no other way. And like in Exodus, there's kind of two sides to this, God's side and ours. So first, let's think about God's side. Israel could only have God's presence through the tabernacle. That was the prescribed way. We can only have God's presence through his son and by his spirit. So if you want to draw near to God, that's the only way. Jesus. So the answer is dig into the facts about Jesus. That's what we can do. Dig into the facts about Jesus. For example, remind yourself, um, Jesus is my high priest. If I'm trusting in him, then I'm over his heart. I'm in him. Jesus is in the, in the presence of God, in his embrace. If I'm in Christ, then that is where I, am at, where I am at. I might not feel it 
But that's the facts. Friends, that's where we've got to start. With the prescribed way of, of knowing God's presence. Jesus, by his spirit. But then there's our side. What is the God's prescribed way for us to come into his presence? Well, obviously it's in Jesus, but as priests, how do we do it? The answer Exodus would give us is by obedient faith. You see, if the priests of Israel didn't actually trust God's word and obey it, they couldn't come into his presence. Quite simply, they would die. (laughs) If we want to know God's presence, if we want to draw near to him, same deal. We need to listen to his word and obey it. So, we need to read his word. Alone, in groups, at church. We need to listen to his word. Seeking holiness. Not just going wherever the world goes, but where God's word tells us, so we will go. That is how we walk closely with God. And we're going to pray. I know it's hard to pray when you feel distant from God. My experience has been um, that that's a great time to use prayers other people have written and just take them up and make them your own. The Lord's Prayer, there's all sorts of other ones out there. So, if we want to draw near to God, we take his prescribed route. Get clear about the facts about God and then work at our end as well. But now once we've done those things, once we're doing those things, there's a third thing. That is waiting. We just wait. We're in God's hands. God has said to us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But he has not promised us, you will feel my presence. And so we wait. One of our sisters here recently uh, went through a time of real struggle. Um, Not quite like this, but a bit similar enough. She had to remind herself of the facts about Jesus, get clear on them. Um, She had to desperately work at her end, trusting, reading, praying. And then she just had to wait. She couldn't solve the problem. She just had to wait, struggling on. And then one day, a few weeks ago, as she woke up in the morning, and it was over. Friends, one day, we will wake up, and it will all be over. And we will behold the presence of the holy and loving God like never before. On that day when he returns, until then we are called to do those two things, to dig into Jesus. He is God's prescribed way of of knowing God's presence. And we're to keep working at faith and obedience. Well, it is all over. Um, Our series in Exodus is all over. Uh, That is the end. Um, But I've got to say, friends, for me tonight, uh, really sums up what I've been learning in Exodus. Um, that we've got on the one hand this holy God, and yet he's a God who loves his people.
compassionately. Um, He wants them. He wants us. Um, May he have us more and more day by day. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, we just want to thank you uh, for your character, uh, for the way that uh, you are a God who is beyond our imagining, beyond our grasp, and yet uh, you're a God who wants to be known. Uh, You're a God who wants us. Uh, Father, thank you for your passion for your people uh, that drove you to the cross even. We pray, please, Lord, that in our weakness, you would help us to keep digging into Jesus, help us to keep responding by faith and obedience, the faith and obedience that only you can give us. We pray that you would give us the fullness of joy in him. Amen.